There we go. I see y'all coming in here. All right, so <laughs> this could possibly be the most exciting show you've ever listened to in your entire life. Now, it's not because I have the good bishop David Reese here on the show, although that is definitely going to add to the excitement. It's not because I look so good with my polka dot tie on and my gray shirt. It's not because this is really the second show that I've done this year in 2024. No, no, no. There's, there's going to be a plethora of reasons why I could say that this is going to be the most exciting show you've ever listened to. But there's one reason, basically, why this is going to be the absolutely most exciting show you've ever listened to to date is because this show is all about you. Yes, 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 you. No, no, not, don't, don't turn and look at your neighbor. And, no, no, I'm talking about this show is all about you. And it's your favorite topic. It's your favorite subject. And you love to talk about you. So today on Family Friday and Knox Unleashed with David Reese as we talk about civic covenanting, we're going to talk about you. You know why? <laughs> you might be saying to yourself, because I'm very interesting. No, 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 that's, 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 not, that's not it. The reason why we're going to talk about you is because uh, you are responsible for all the problems in the world. Yeah, I just saw everybody click out. That's, that's, doesn't seem like good news, but believe it or not, if you stay and listen to the rest of the show, it's actually going to be really great news. Because if you're not responsible, then you can't fix anything. You can't solve any of the problems. You can't, then everything is acting on you and you can't do anything about it. But that's not the way that God's designed the world. And so since everything really is like something you're responsible for, why not talk more about you? But before we get to your favorite subject, let me just talk about my lovely sponsors. Oh, oh. Have you shared the show yet? You should. If you want to talk about you too, you should share the show. I'm going to uh, allow some of the folks to come in and ask questions and engage with the good bishop, uh, David Reese, as we talk more about you. But the only way that you get a chance to enjoy this conversation with us back and forth in dialogue is if you actually shared the show. I'm going to check your social media. And if you didn't share the show, I'm going to kick you off. I don't care if we're in the mid part of the conversation and <laughs> you're talking and I see, oh, look, you didn't share the show. Bloop, you're done. You should have shared the show. You can call back in after you have. If you're going to be on the spaces, which we're actually streaming from right now, if you're on the spaces, I see my brother Darren Stead is up in here. What up, my guy? Good to see you. I see you in the gym dropping that weight. You know why you dropping weight? Because you love you some you. <laughs> and he just left just like that. Wow. <laughs> Guess he doesn't love himself that much. Anyway. If you want to talk in the spaces, you're going to have to share the show and on X in order to be able to get in this conversation, and I'll let you in the conversation. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Facebook, if you're on, ooh, Instagram. I love live streaming on Instagram. If you're watching on Instagram for the first time, could you leave me a note or a message so I can see it up in here? I appreciate you guys. And we got X. I'm on video side of X as well on the Cross Politic channel and on my personal X channel. All right, so my sponsors, who I love, we got some new sponsors coming. A show about me, that's a scary thought. Why do you think, <laughs> I told you, the whole reason the world is screwed up is because of 
you. And that's why we're going to talk about you. Yeah, that's just great. Um, my sponsors that we have coming in, I believe, is 1689 Cigars. And I have a box that I'm going to open on the cross politic. And I can't wait to smoke them. But I'm just going to sit here when we do these knocks unleashed. And I'm just going to chew because I can't smoke in this room. I'm going to chew on these cigars. I'm going to enjoy the nicotine that comes out of there to the glory of God because it's good for you to watch me enjoy a 1689 cigar <laughs> because you need to get you some too if you love you. And so they're joining me as long with my longtime sponsor now since last year, newhearttreasures.com. Go to newhearttreasures.com. I love my mug so much. I didn't even leave it at work. I took it home with me. I love having that thing. It's in the car with me. I love drinking from it. I love the, the shape of it in my hands. It's a lovely mug. Go get you one of those at newhearttreasures.com and find all the other lovely things that they have there. And you can actually have Bible verses surrounding you because they'll put it on whatever it is that you want over there. All right. Without any further ado, because I don't want to talk about me anymore. I want to talk about you. And so we have the good bishop with us. Bishop, what are you, Bishop David Reese, what are you looking at? What are you over there trying to find? Uh-oh, I don't have any audio for me. Let me see. There we go. There we I was go. only pulling up an elaborately long list of scripture texts that are associated with uh, the rule of the Christian prince. Oh, oh, good, because that's what we're going to talk about. You. That's what, that's the problem. You're, because you're a Christian prince if you're a Christian. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, <laughs> and you know what? There's also um, bad princes because they're not Christians, right? So they should right. be pr Christian princes, but because they're not Christians, they're being bad princes. And so this, the prince concept is an inescapable one. But, um, okay, so here's the deal. You had two lists of things that you wanted to talk about today. And I, I said, don't tell me what, what it was, and we're going to pick between the two. And I was hoping maybe we could merge the two, but what was the first thing you thought we were going to talk about? So we, you and I had talked about walking through, and we couldn't do this in one show, but we, we talked about walking through the major events that have occurred in the history of the scriptures for the formation of Christian government and, and the advancement of the state as, as God gave it. And people need to understand the major reformations, the major events that have occurred in terms of the civil magistracy and how that works in the scriptures. The other thing that we had talked about was the idea and how there's a lot that people need to know about in terms of the ordering of the mind and the ordering of actions so that they themselves can exercise power. Because the main problem that you and I see is that people don't know how to govern themselves. And because they can't govern themselves, even if they became the, the, the prince of the land, we wouldn't expect that to solve nearly as many problems as we wish. And furthermore, if you are the prince of the land, your concern is just now, okay, great. Now I want to see people govern themselves well, because otherwise it's just, all going to fall apart anyways. The, the building gets done by individuals. So Texas has caused a stir. We're going to get, I want to talk mm -hmm. about those two things. And I think I'm, I'm getting by myself some time to be able to connect how those work together. I think you did just a little bit. I'm going to try and do one up on you and then you can try again. Uh, but Texas has caused a stir. They have decided to try and protect their borders and, and at least in some way, Right. They, they, in some way. And they've got some wire fence, uh, barbed wire fence they put around, razor fence. And this they got taken to court, I believe, and they went up to the Supreme Court that says that now that the, the government can actually come in, the federal government can come in 
and chop down their wire fence and and Texas is saying, yeah, that's not going to happen. And I believe I saw them putting up more wire fence. So and now we have all these other states, all the Republican states, from what I understand, have joined in and signed on to say we stand with Texas. And who does Reese stand with? Well, first of all, um, it is plainly the case that the federal government has a duty to make sure that the borders are dealt with in an orderly way and the defendant. And so if it is the case that there is a, a, a just people coming across that are even abetted by the, the federal agencies in coming across without any sort of a way of dealing with who is coming in, who's not going in, how do you know it's not an invading force? Uh, how do you, you don't have any sort of mechanism to deal with people coming in. Now, I think that the restrictive immigration policies that we have that make it so it's difficult to come in, difficult to move, are, are foolish. I think that the Bible allows for the freedom of movement of individuals, but I think that it has a slow process of allowing people to become covenanted. Um, and when they become covenanted, they don't become voting citizens until the third generation of loyal covenanting with the nation. And you need a Christian nation. So what we have right now is just these absurd mechanism where people come in, you get born here and you're automatically, even if your parents didn't covenant, you become covenanted as a citizen and you have voting rights. And then there's the welfare state and all of this nonsense, right? So what we have is a mechanism for the destruction of the Republic by pulling people in without any sort of um, requirement of a, of a swearing of, of loyalty. And we allow people to simply take taxpayer funded welfare um, by, by simply coming in here. So this is plainly and obviously um, the desire of the Democrats to destroy the Republic by building a underclass that can be made into a dependency that can be used to cause the electorate to change, right? So that's obviously what's happening. And so if that's the case, whether there's foreign actors in here or not that are state actors and that are trying to send people across the border to be able to do espionage and to do terrorist acts or whatever uh, is, is, a, is, a different, is a different matter. And my assumption is yes. I mean, the communist Chinese aren't paying anybody to go across our border. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing going on there. You know, so, so that idea, th those, those realities make it so that Texas has a legitimate claim that the federal government is doing nothing to make it so that our borders are secure. And then on the same time, um, it's their duty to see that if there's a covenant breaking federal government, that that federal government is um, something that's not oppressing their people. So what would I expect Texas to do, right? If Texas were concerned about the rights of its people, they would bring a suit of general, of general covenant breaking against the federal government and say, the constitution is being totally ignored. This is a joke. And there would plainly be, you know, essentially an act of secession at this point or a, a asserting of, you know, we aren't going to acknowledge any legitimate uh, powers or sorry, illegitimate powers of the federal government. And that would include people coming in and tearing down border walls. And we would arrest federal, they would arrest federal agents that are involved in unconstitutional actions because they are acting tyrannically under the color of law, right? So, so that's the broader thing. So the narrow thing, yeah, sure. Like, you know, Border Patrol is coming in and tearing down a wall that, that Texas builds to guard its border. Like, you know, arrest the guys. If, if you're if you're just rebuilding the thing and like the tomorrow they tear it down and you rebuild it and whatever else, like are you putting up some razor wire or whatever? Like this is political theater. And, and because it's political theater, there's not serious action. Now, I love this political theater. And the reason <laughs> I love this political theater 
is because I want to get people normalized into believing that lesser magistrates should resist higher magistrates when they're failing to do their job, when they're being tyrannical. So, you know, the governor of Texas should be like, we need to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the king of kings. We need to acknowledge his word as authoritative. We need to see Christian liberty defended and biblical justice administered. And we need our borders to be secure. And we need to encourage people to be able to come in. And we need to have no welfare state. And we need to encourage people to covenant, to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be able to become a part of our electorate. That's not the society that we are currently in. And um, so what are the lesser stages you do? I'm happy to see a resistance against the federal government breaking its oath and breaking covenant and seeing the state of Texas put up walls and refuse to allow that to simply go unopposed. Um, and so I would encourage them to start arresting federal agents for breaking their, their oaths and for committing acts of treason and acting uh, tyrannically under the color of law uh, as they come and destroy state property that's put along the border. Uh, are you concerned? Um, there's two things here. I, I don't want to stay in. The, this is a conversation I think that's huge. I think it's around the topic that we want to talk about uh, with civic covenanting um, because nobody knows what that is. I think you even said some things that uh, people are like, well, bring covenant lawsuit against the federal government for not obeying. It's like, what? what is that? <laughs> How do you even do that? Um, but, you know, I think that a lot of people are saying, well, hold on, if we defy the Supreme Court and then everybody just defies the Supreme Court and nobody pays attention to what the Supreme Court says, well, then we don't have a constitution worth anybody um, acknowledging and holding to anymore. And if we break the rules and they break the rules and we don't we're just at war. And so get ready, baby. Civil war is on the way. Well, for the civil war, there have to be two parties that have the will to fight and they have to have mutually exclusive objectives. Um, and so, um, they hate so first us. of all, that's it. That's their object. They hate us. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Sometimes you hate people and you're like happy to see them go. Yeah. Sometimes you hate people and you want to exterminate them. Right. Right. So the question is, which one is their, is their will? So, so first of all, our constitution has been totally ignored. Our constitution is a joke. It's in shreds. Uh, there is, there is no application of the constitution at all. The Constitution has been totally ignored, right? The most commonly cited parts of the Constitution are the general welfare clause and the necessary and proper clause. And even those aren't getting talked about much anymore. The idea that general welfare clause, you know, authorizes <coughs> general that the general welfare clause authorizes the federal government to do anything and everything as long as they think it's for the good of the people. And then the idea that the necessary and proper clause makes it so that anything and everything can be done are are, are jokes. And so that's, that's the way the Constitution is dealt with right now. And there's no serious effort to limit the powers of the government by the enumerated powers and the necessary consequences of the enumerated powers. Instead, the federal government is, is simply acknowledged. I mean, it's been trillions of dollars a year on nonsense. Right? The, yeah. the, this is a joke. The, the federal government is a money-extracting band. The federal government is a bunch of thieves that use coercive power to extract tyrannically high taxes and to use an inflationary system that is backed by the taxation system to make it so that they can print money to do other things. That the federal government's a joke. And, you know, so much of the spending is a joke and on destructive ends or on things that are, um, you know, super inefficient. And so the federal government's job is to provide a, a common market, a place for mutual defense, and a way to have disputes resolved that are between citizens of different states and between the states themselves. And it's meant to be a very limited enterprise. 
right? The federal government has become a behemoth, a leviathan, a, a tyrannical joke. It's covenant breaking. So many of the people that take the covenant to join into working either in federal office or as federal employees are just taking a covenant in vain instantaneously, right? Nobody here thinks that anybody's seriously reading the Constitution and applying it. So let's not pretend like Texas all of a sudden ignoring a Supreme Court order stopping Texas from defending itself against the threat of potential invasion is an action that's contrary to the Constitution. So... You created so many rabbit trails I want to go down. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because this show is supposed to be about you. So what does that have to do with the topic that we're going to talk about today? Because that's not disconnected. When I think about everything you just said, there's a part of me that says, man, you know, the federal government, when I start laying out all how horrible, everything you just said about the federal government, uh, I was reading Judges 6 with Gideon and Gideon is sitting up there hiding. Now, this is so important. Oh, okay. I want to talk less. I want you to talk more, but I got to, I got to bring this up and set this up. Gideon is hiding his, his wealth, his money um, inside a place. He shouldn't have to a wine press is not for wheat, right? Like you don't, that's not where it goes. Wine press is for wine. Okay. But right. um, what he's, he's, he's threshing out this wheat there because he's hiding it from during this harvest time, because the first part of chapter six opens up with the enemies of Israel bombarding them and coming down during these harvest times and taking their wealth, taking and, and, and um, ravishing them, and Israel's hiding in caves. Now, to give that a little bit of context, this doesn't start there. This starts back when Moses was alive and says, listen, this is what it's going to look like when you're cursed and God isn't on your side anymore. Instead, your right. enemies are going to bombard your harvest seasons and you won't have bread baskets with bread in them anymore. You won't have fruit baskets with fruit. You won't be blessed in the city and you won't be blessed in the field. You won't be blessed when you go out. You won't be blessed when you come in. You will be the tail and you won't be the head. And, every, and, and your enemies will come from far to take over your land. And you get to judges and Judges opens up with basically Deuteronomic curses, which, by the way, is exactly what you just laid out about our federal government. You just laid out the first verses of chapter six of Judges, right? And we, right. we are, in order for us to do well, we are getting overtaxed, overtaxed in so many different ways. Um, our government is ruling our lives in every way, and we have to go hide the things that we produce in, in nonprofits or some other form. We've created creative ways of hiding money from the government that they've allowed us, right? Right. <laughs> right. They, they've allowed us to say, oh, you can hide money from us here, but you can only use it for these things. And we've done it because and, – and we've continued to play the game because it's easier to hide our money than it is to repent. Right? Right. Um, now – you have good good people who are wise because God called Gideon a man of valor. He figured it out, right? And so how when you are in when it doesn't take much to look around and see that we are in a cursed place right now. And right. and so when you're in this situation, everybody has a tendency to want to say, well, how do we get in the the reins of this thing so that we can order blessing, right? But so then where do you and, and I've been looking and I've been saying, man, our government, 
the way that our government system is set up is quite unique, where the people have representatives and they are the ones who put them there in power. So right. then for uh, how do you complain about what it is you have to deal with when you're the one and you're the people who put these guys in to represent you? So then if they're representing us, then there's something about the way that we are that's reflecting in them that's feed, giving us a feedback loop. So then the question I'm asking, David, with all that setup is where is it that we start and why when it comes to un, to untangling Deuteronomic curses? Yeah, the first thing is, like you said at the beginning of the show, I mean, the reality is the problem is us. The problem is me. The problem is you. Right. The problem is, is the viewer in the sense that we need to repent and we need to seek to gain deeper wisdom. Right? Repentance isn't just like, ah, I want to I want to be better. It's OK. So now now that we have had unbelief and we don't know what we ought to know, we don't know how to do this. Like we don't have mm. the wisdom to overcome this. We need to repent of not studying deeply enough, not not knowing God sufficiently to be able to do battle properly. Right? If we were wiser. And if we were more, if we were more consistent, if we had greater integrity, we would be far more effective at fighting. We would be far more unified, right? So the, the problem is us, the unity of the church, the skill of the church, the wisdom of the church, the intelligent retreating to positions of strength so that you can project out. All of these sorts of things are what need to happen. So self-rule and the competent governments of certain zones is what needs to happen there first. But what we also need to realize this. The federal government is the enemy. The federal government is the enemy. We all know it. We're all saying it. We're all afraid to say it in public. The federal government's the enemy. The federal government is stealing our money. The federal government is protecting the murder of the unborn. And, and we're so cowardly that now there are still no states where abortion has been stopped. Mm. If, if Roe v. Wade is, is done, and now it still hasn't stopped. So there is, there, is, there is not an ending of the murder of the unborn that's occurring. Why? Why is the child sacrifice continuing? Mm. Child sacrifice is continuing. The you know, propagation and support of sodomy and all of this nonsense is continuing because of the fact that we are not worshiping God properly. Because we don't understand and we are not doing the things with the means that have been applied. And we are not concerned to see the proper formation of the unity of the church. And we don't know how to build out households, and we don't know how to govern ourselves with sufficient strength. So we have to create zones that are Christian zones of power where we're able to exercise the law word of God in deep detail, right? So that's, that's what the repentance looks like. It looks like you tear down the idols that are in your zone. Mm. And then you look for opportunities like, you know, Michael Cassidy to take down the public idols, right? And so this, there, that's what needs to be done. The federal government's the enemy, and these institutions are absurd, and we don't want to just come in and try to like make sure that we're running the ATF in a less awful way. The ATF needs to not exist. Mm. The FBI needs to not exist. The Federal Reserve needs to not exist. These, these institutions need to not exist. The, the Department of Defense or War, the Department of the Treasury, the Department of State, Right. These are legitimate institutions that should exist to be able to manage the elements of what the state ought to do. And you need to have some sorts of limited courts and things like that. But what we have is this behemoth that exists that is extracting our wealth. 
So we have to find the ways to be more productive under curse, under oppression, to build resources and space to be able to have Christian rule in limited ways. And then we need to link up. So um, this has been like your your marching orders since we've been talking. Link up. Come on. Covenant and uniformity. Come on. <laughs> um, and I think that people are going to start understanding that a little more. David, here's a fear of mine. And tell me if this is legit. I fear that if you took welfare away tomorrow, we would be in a worse place than where we currently are now for a long amount of time, right? There's, there's, there's a fear of mine that's there because I don't think you have that kind of system without have created a certain type of people. So when you see government programs, I believe all government programs are communicating is that you don't have any people who are able to govern themselves. So everybody who's on welfare has a family <laughs> in some way. If they, sure. if, you, if you go over Uncle to the Sam. House, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> well, if, okay, let's say that you go over to their houses for Thanksgiving. There's a, these are a group of people who are made in the image of God that are somehow working around together, uh, living together, probably going to church together. Why is it that we haven't figured out a way for us to produce something valuable enough for someone else that creates blessing for them and finances for us? And so there is a a, a neglect of. Um, Work, production, self, yeah. self, um, under, as you were talking, I was thinking about this. When you have been under a curse, there is generational knowledge and blessing that seeps from you. You don't have it, it as tangible as near anymore. And so, like, I right. love what you said. You have to start all over again and gain those things. And so, I want to talk about, and, and you can jump in anywhere you want to, but I, want, I really want to talk about dealing with the idols in your own zone, because that's exactly what you see happening with uh, Gideon, right? So everybody talks about Gideon's war, but Gideon dealt with idols first in his father's house. Mm -hmm. And so this is why for me, you know, when we start talking about government and civil covenanting and, you know, uh, borders and everything like that, my first thought is I only have the amount of authority, where do I have the largest amount of authority at? That's the only place that I know I can affect first. And everybody thinks family, like family is absolutely right. You have, as a husband and as a father, you have immediate authority there that you can change your family pretty quickly. Be careful with that too. But immediately I know I have authority over myself. Like That's where my largest amount of authority is. And so there must be something massively broken in me that allows for so much, so much idolatry to exist around me. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that what happens is, I mean, so we talk about idolatry in terms of the external forms, right? The second commandment teaches us about avoiding idolatry in terms of the, the wrong worship of God or the, the worship of, of some sort of you know, other object than God. But the first commandment is about knowing and acknowledging the true God. And so the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self are the wisdom that help us to be able to govern well. We're told mm. in the scriptures, you know, Jesus says, you know, that, that people who don't know God are slaves. They're slaves to sin. And so there's there's a certain degree to which even when we're liberated and we we are we are regenerated, we're made Christians, right? We are we're caused to believe the gospel. That there is still a degree to which we are there's an enslavement that exists. Every every unbelief, every every element of falsehood in your mind is a place where you're enslaved to sin still. Mm-hmm. And so 
there is this fight for wisdom, right? So daily worship and the use of the Sabbath day are, are regular, ordinary means to combat that darkness, right? When you when you engage in morning and evening worship and when you engage in the use of the Sabbath as a feast day of the word, those things are powerful weapons to topple the idols that are in your own mind. And so we also need to, of course, remove the external things. You got a statue of Buddha in your house, get rid of that thing. Mm. Here's the other thing. We tend to have false gods and those false gods tend to be, the most common false gods are for us to see pleasure, power or money as the the good pleasure power and money you said over and over again you see it with with those who are who are kings they're they're told don't multiply wives because that's you know a violation of the seventh commandment in terms of immoderate pleasure seeking right it's, it's adultery they're told to not multiply gold especially through the taxation system to try to extract wealth from people and make money into their god into the thing that they think is going to be their good and then they're told to not multiply chariots and horses right because that's the projection of power for offensive military action that's about power. It also allows you to control your people. If you have a centralized military force that you can deploy, that's constantly active, you can go and put down any sort of resistance. So the centralized power. So you see with elders, elders are supposed to not be domineering. They're not supposed to be violent, bullying men. They're not supposed to be slaves to wine and they're supposed to be one woman men, right? And they're not supposed to be lovers of money or, or to be those who are greedy for uh, illicit gain, right? So, so you have the same thing, the, the, the pleasure, power, money problem. So those are things. And here's how pleasure, you know, we, we all, we look around, so we have, we have easy jobs, okay? People have easy jobs where they get to sit around all day and there's very little, you know, accountability. Their managers are lazy and incompetent. And, and what they do is they, they sit around doing a minimum amount of work. Most of the people I know that work in IT, for example, are competent men who have learned a technical skill and they typically moan about the fact that they've only got like two hours of work a week that really has to happen. And they have like eight hours of meetings and they all kind of roll their eyes at the stupidity of all this stuff. And so what are they doing, right? They're not, they're not taking on more work and they're not trying to go build some of the business. And so it's just like, okay, what are you doing? If you're a Christian IT professional, you need to be either figuring out how to serve really well and to help to build something. And if you don't want to build something for the godless, go work for the godly or start your own business and have a Christian zone, right? So this idea that, that you, you need to be using your work to glorify God by providing honest dominion effort to advance the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can do that in a way that makes money. And so that advancement, we, we don't make the cushy job that gives us money and, and so that we can have all the free time that we want and have no stress. The good life is not stress avoidance. The good life is the life of increasing responsibility. Mm. You take on Shut burden up. to rule. Shut up. No. Uh -uh. The good life is the life of increasing no. responsibility. No. And so <laughs> we, we, don't, we, we think that the good, rather than the knowledge of God and spreading the knowledge of God, is we think it's amusement. And so we go, I'd like to have you know, lots of time to watch Netflix with mindless, stupid junk mm -hmm. or to watch you know, YouTube or to listen to you know, podcasts in the background while I'm playing a video game or whatever the thing is. Right? And what we need to be doing is finding out how can we actively do things. We need to be filling our time with good works. And this is the regulated principle of life. This is the idea that the way we turn on the idols is by doing what God commands to, to fill our time. Right? Every moment should be spent on a good work. There's not enough time. Right? One of the reasons people shut down and stop working hard is because when you start to work hard and you actually care about objectives, you start to realize there is too much work to be done. And there's a weird response when we see how much work there is to be done. We escape. Mm. We go, there's too much work to be done. I don't want to do the work. This is, this is, this is, this is hurtful to think about. This is, this is stressful. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to shut my eyes and go be amused. Yeah. So we are called as rational creatures to be thinkers. And, and for everybody who's listening, you're called to think 
all the time. You were called to think hard. You were called to think clearly. You were called to think the word of God and to take every thought captive to the Lord Jesus Christ, which means you apply the word of God in every thought. And as you're applying the word of God, what you're doing is you are seeking to make it so that you can cause your own thoughts and the words that come out of your mouth and the government, all the stuff around you, and the government of the people who are under your authority has the law word applied to it. And as you're doing that, as you're thinking, as you're trying to overcome these false things and the problems that come before you, as you're thinking hard, this idea of the mind being used constantly to overcome unbelief is where the principal element of the spiritual war is. The idols that we have are things like pleasure, power, and money that we think these things are going to be for our good. And we lazily think about how to rest on those things. Resting on the gospel, resting on God involves the idea of we then project out from the place of rest to do work out of gratitude. Now, you were to say something, Knox. No, I, you know, so it sounds like that you've kind of wrapped all this up into stop being lazy. Right. And mental laziness <laughs> in particular, right? Mental right. laziness in particular. There is a, we don't want to think, right? We, we go, oh, all this doctrine, you know, but what are we going to do? It's like, you're not thinking about it deeply enough, right? Like, like you, you, if you're watching a stupid show, it needs to grieve your soul. When you're, when, no, I want to challenge it, it, that. That's interesting. I don't mind. Well, I think you, I agree with you about the watching this stupid show should grieve your soul. But it seems like what I found um, is that there's a lot of reformed thinkers um, that are doing a lot of thinking and not a lot of working. That they're not doing. thinking about work. <laughs> you see, I mean, seriously, they're not. They're not taking. They're not taking captive the thoughts they have about work. Hmm. They've got. They've left a safe zone for themselves to be lazy. Just thinking about doctrine. Yeah, and then okay, so you got to you got to you got to read the text. You got to then take the text and and systematize it into doctrine, and then you got to apply the text. They stopped at point two. Mm. What's the application? And the application isn't. You know, this the same thing happens. A lot of guys like to talk about Christian nationalism or whatever. They're just like, oh, if I were the Christian prince, or if this were the Christian, it's like, it's like okay, well, you're the prince of your household, and you govern yourself. So what are you doing? Right? Why aren't you governing yourself better? Why aren't you governing your house better? Why aren't you building something? I'm all for it. Let's have a Christian nation. You know how we're going to get there? We're going to build out good households. We're going to build out strong and powerful individuals. And we're going to eat those people with wisdom and knowledge, advance in their place to make it so that they can have more resources and more capability of accomplishing things with the resources the Lord has given to them. Knox, did I lose you? No, no, no. I just thought that that deserves some full screen attention. That's all. I was just like, you know, he's about to preach for a minute. I'm gonna give him some full you screen attention. So, you so, just you're just waiting for me to get sniped. Like, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not with this guy. I'm not with. Him. So then the, the part of um, part of the the mandate that was given to man, it, we haven't. I guess part of it is too like people don't know what to do. Um, they're looking for people to give them work. They don't know what kind of work they should be producing. When you know, when you're talking about the IT guy, um, I, I guess that's a slave mentality. Okay, I, I agree. But then when guys get a job, they, they only think about producing um, enough for them to 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 make their money, right? They, or, or you know, you pay me to do this, I do this thing. But most people aren't coming to their jobs and being like, you know, if I can do this job in half the time. Um, and, and then I can come in here and add these other elements to this, man, I would make this company this much more money. Like, I don't, I can't remember the time or being around people 
who think like, how can I make this company more money? Right? Like th- that's not how they're well, thinking. Yeah. I mean, Proverbs says, you know, if you care, you know, the man who tends to a fig tree eats of the fruit. Right. And the man who tends to his master will eat of the fruit. Okay. So you, your employer is your master. You're taking, you're, you're taking money to, to serve the guy. Right. So, so serve him well. And, you know, like I, I, with Armored Republic, I started out as an employee. I, I became CEO. I became a minority partner. And then I became the majority owner by buying the company. Right. Like, like my goal was to figure out how to serve well. And, and you, by serving well, you're going to, you're going to receive fruits of that labor. And it makes it so that you then have resources to be able to use. You can, you know, a, a servant who works hard, uh, who has, you know, a servant who works hard, who's loyal, who's honest, who's wise, is going to end up partaking in the inheritance. You know, that's that's the way it is. Okay, so that's I, what the scriptures teach. I'm writing down. I'm writing down stuff. So first, idols in your own zone. That's how we deal with our government. Deal with the idols in our own zone. Get worship right. Correct. Um, yeah, you, you have right doctrine, and you, you manifest itself in right worship, and then we we got to work properly, and that intellectual laziness and the love of comfort and using money to avoid work, amusing ourselves. We don't want to think we want to stop thinking like the way you get wisdom. You have, you have to think you, yeah. know, you, you have to, you have to read the scriptures. You have to, you have to study stuff. You've got to find time to read. You know, it's easy to listen to podcasts. It's hard to sit down and read, you know, a, a serious book. It's hard to sit down and read a commentary in the Bible. Mm. Right. And so, you know, you, you I use my my time like in the shower and driving a car to listen to audio material. Okay, I I try to find time to sit down and read serious work, and I'm not going to read fluff. Right? If you if your book has one point and you you want me to read 150 pages to get there, I'm going to read the introduction, the conclusion, and throw the thing away. Right? Like it's a waste of time. It's a waste of shelf space. Like there needs to be a serious book. Like like most of the books that are really worth reading were not written in the last couple of decades. Right? So. So the, the idea that we have to read things that were not designed to be Pavlovian nonsense that we just ingest through the easy reading of things. Like there, there are the Puritans wrote sentences that are a little bit harder to read. They did, and but you're going to get way more out of a page of a Puritan than you are out of most of the modern theology books, even by guys that are reformed today. Right. So just this idea that you need to find quality stuff to engage your mind with. Now, everybody's going, oh, that's fine. You're telling me to read theology and whatever, and that's just going to result in wealth or, or blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, it is. The, the study of the law of God is going to come out of your fingertips if you're regenerate. And then what's going to happen But is it's going to result in the production of all sorts of wealth. Proverbs says that the man who's wise, he lives by the fruit of his mouth. There's the idea of serving your master well, and it results in fruit. This is the reality, right? The solution, everybody wants to be like, oh, you know, I've got plenty of theology. The solution is not more theology. You're wrong. The solution is more theology. The, the solution is the truth. The knowledge of the truth sets men free. So it's getting rid of this amusement mentality. Amusement means you know, to muse is to think, right? You go to a museum and it's a building for thinking, right? This idea of let's muse on this for a bit. You're thinking about it. Amusement is about stopping thinking. So if you're if you're if you're reading junk, if you're watching junk, if you're listening to stupid songs, like you are wasting your time and you're filling your mind with filth. So save yourself the hassle of building new idols that you're going to have to tear down later. And instead, go find useful things to put before your eyes and fruitful things to take in and fill your mind with that stuff and start to think about plans. Like there are business books to read. There are, there are things like that. So once you read stuff and you're like, I want to execute this, right, right now, if you're just sitting there going, I don't know what to do, okay, then you need to study. 
Like a learned man looks around and understands the times and understands what to do. Like my problem is not, I don't know what to do. The problem is I don't know how to get enough resources to do all the stuff that needs to be done. Right? So if you know what's going on, if you know what time it is and you know God's eternal truth and you know what the law of God requires of you, you're going to start figuring out how to break through and you're going to go, I don't have the resources and time to do everything I need to do. So it's about waking up. And when that happens, right, authority flows to those who take responsibility and rewards go to those who use the authority well. And so mm. that's the general tendency of things. That's and good. everybody wants to say that's a, that's a you know, that's the prosperity gospel or something like that. No, it's not. It's the promises associated with the law. The law is not gospel, right? What I'm, what I'm saying is that this is the general way that things work. And we know that there are rewards that the Lord gives to everybody on the day of judgment. If you do a good work for the glory of God in faith, according to the law of God, there will be a reward there. There's also probably going to be a reward in this life. And if you stack those things up and do things well, the general tendency is the blessings in this life. And that's how you get resources to accomplish things. So there's that effort to build things out. So we have to do that and we have to overcome intellectual laziness. And so like, here's the problem. I need to help you guys to tear down the idols of false gospel, these false idols in your mind. Okay. So there are arguments you need to have. The first of all, the book of Ecclesiastes was written for the purpose of showing you how to tear these down. Okay. The book of Ecclesiastes identifies these false goods, these false gods, and it shows you what's wrong with them. So, so when you read Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he's identifying, is he talking about money? Is he talking about power? Is he talking about pleasure? And then he shows you by argumentation what's wrong with them and why they're ultimately not satisfying. Okay, There are attributes of the, the knowledge of God that are different from everything else that raises itself up as an idol. Okay, And some of these attributes are, the first one we've talked about a lot already, and it's the fact that the knowledge of God results in transformation in you, right? Mm. You can hang out, get all the pleasure you want, and it's not going to transform you for the better, right? Just because you have lots of sex and you watch lots of stupid shows and you play lots of games, it's not going to make you a more powerful or wise man. But the knowledge of God will change you and it will give you power to govern yourself and to transform the world around you. Okay, so there's a transformative power in the knowledge of God. In hey, addition to that, can, before, oh, yeah. you, before you go any further, I just want to say that I, there is, um, you're an image bearer and the image works best when it mirrors the right God. <laughs> yes. Right? Right. And so it tells you how you're supposed to function. And when you're like, wow, why do I function so well when I obey the God of the Bible? <laughs> yes. That's whose image right. you're made in. Right. Your life becomes like you're walking down a highway as opposed to when you're trying to follow the image of a different God. What you end up doing is it's like you're walking through hedgerows. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to say that was really good. That's really good. Keep going. So, you know, think about this, the knowledge of God versus the pleasure, right? Pleasure is not going to transform you to be able to govern yourself better. The same thing with money. Money, if you are wise, you can use money well. If you're a fool and hold you on, get money, you're on, not going to use it well. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You just say stuff, man. You can't be doing that. You can't be dropping bombs like that. And then just, you got to have a little charismatic in you. What'd you say? Pleasure is not a good enough to transform. It's not a, yeah, it's not a good pleasure. Pleasure is not a God that's going to transform you after the image of the biblical God, right? When you, if you transformed after the image of pleasure, you're going to become, you're, you're going to be looking lazily to achieve pleasure in a way that is just the lowest cost for the most pleasure. And so there's this problem that the God of pleasure leads to one of two results. 
you are either frustrated because you cannot get the pleasure or you get all the pleasure you're looking for mm. and you get bored. And so this is called the hedonic paradox. It's the paradox associated with hedonism where, where the good is pleasure. It's you either are bored because you're getting all the pleasure you wanted. And now it's like, what is this? This doesn't fulfill. Well, and that, or, le and that leads to frustrated. perversion, right? Because yeah, it does. Yes. Yes. No, go with that, Knox. Why? Why does it lead to why does it lead to perversion? Well, because you you have to go and do the next thing that's bigger than the last thing. And so you have to stack it. And all of a sudden you have just this Asheroth <laughs> stacked on top yes. of each other, right? Right, exactly. So so you're like, well, this sexual thing that used to make me really excited no longer makes me excited more because I'm like, you know, time 45 into this thing. Right. And so you're looking for what's the more exciting thing? What's the kinkier thing? What's the weirder thing? What's yep. the, you know, whatever, right? So it's just, there's this, it's this, this, this train into sexual perversion. And rightly so, so rightly so. This is a very important point. Um, and this is why your first point is even more important than this, because uh, you are designed to be that type of way. The way that God has made you is that when you get certain places, you're made to expand. You're made to grow yep. wider. You're made to embrace more. You're, when you work hard, it seems like you're going to break. But it, your body, if you look at your muscles, they rip, they come back stronger, they can lift more. Your body is designed to expand because God is never ending. And so he just brings it and you get it. It's like, ooh, more. Right. He gives you more. It's because the person who's supposed to fill that ever-expanding need is God. And if you put an yes. idol there, if you put perversion there, it only it, it only you, you keep wanting more, but it never fulfills. Right? Right. Because it can't be God. God's inexhaustible. Right. right. There's an infinite amount of God to know, and therefore there's an intimate infinite amount of God for you to get to take possession of. Right. Yeah. The more you know God, the more you possess God. There's an mm -hmm. infinite amount for you to know about God. Right. And so it's inexhaustible. This this mine of the treasures of the glory of God are inexhaustible. And so we should not belittle in any way theology. We should not belittle in any way true doctrine. True doctrine is what transforms us. It has a transformative power. It sets you free because what it does is it makes you see how stupid the thing is that you were worshiping before. That's right. The comparison of the glory of God makes you see the sin that you were chasing to be deceptive. The more you know God, the more you see in the true light of things. And the things that were hidden in the darkness before, they get they get shown to be what they really are. So as you know God more, you find that the, the God of pleasure is not satisfying. And so the same with money. Money is not transformative. Money is something that if you have wisdom, you can use it to transform the world around you. But if you're a fool, you're just going to build DEI initiatives and ESG. You know, that's, that's not, you're not, you're not, you're, not, you're going to, as opposed to having a chaplain in your company, you're going to have an HR department, right? Oh, those are, those are the, those new are the things that happen. That's the new priest. That's, you know, yeah. that's, um, you know, it's funny because in Gideon, the end of Gideon, you start reading, you realize that because of, he didn't actually follow the priesthood and the order by creating the ephod, he ended up creating a whole kind of alternative where he was at to the priesthood and it ruins him. And instead of, this is so important, instead of the thing that should protect them from idols because they didn't do right worship, they didn't do worship right, which is the point that you were making earlier, they opened up an opportunity for idolatry through the very things that God was supposed to use to protect them from. But because they didn't do that right, Created two ephod. It's supposed to be with the high priest, right? That's you got to go back and read Gideon. I'm telling you, it's amazing what happens because even and even so, God in His kindness gave him 40 years of of you know peace and blessing. Right. But that's short lived when you don't do worship right. 
Anyway, that was right. so good. God blesses even our imperfect obedience because it's accepted in Christ. By the mediation of Christ, Ugh. our imperfect obedience is accepted. And, and so <laughs> the, the result is the result is that God gives us all sorts of blessings that we do not deserve by our imperfect, faltering, incompetent, stumbling, slurring, marginal obedience. Right. And so it's just just take the little bit. Right. One of the things Jeffrey Botkin uh, says that I that I've always yeah. respected is is that he says he says you know just take one percent of what the Lord has already taught you and start applying it. Yeah. Right. And think about this. If you keep learning more and more, and that one percent is going to get bigger and bigger. That's <laughs> right. right? So, and that's the reality. We learn so much more than we know how to apply. But like when you learn enormous amounts, the little applications start to stack up, and you start to see more and more the wickedness of it. So there's just, you know, you think about the the faltering of, of new believers and how they don't know what to do and they're double-minded about everything. Double-mindedness gets gets removed by eliminating the lies that are that are that are causing you to have these false gods. The double-mindedness is eliminated by tearing down the idols that are false gods in your mind because you find the points of unbelief and you eliminate their supports and you knock them over. And you you argue with yourself, you preach with yourself to be able to honor the true God. And, and so these arguments against pleasure and against money, right? Money is not a, a sufficient God. It will magnify what you do, mm. right? The more money you have, the more what's in you will come out. Mm. And the same is true with power, right? You, you are not sufficiently powerful. No human being, even if you're king of the world, is sufficiently powerful to solve all the problems. Who can number what is lacking or make what is crooked straight? Well, only the Lord. And so even when you're king of the world, you have to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his mediatorial kingship to fix the problems. And so we have limited capabilities of these things. So we need the law of God because we're not going to know what to do otherwise. So power, if you just gain power, right, you become domineering, you become short-sighted, you become angry, you just you just want what you want. Like you, you read about these kings, the great kings from the empires of Daniel, for example, and you read about Nebuchadnezzar who goes mad for with his power because he raises himself up in pride and God makes him a beast, yeah. right? You, you read about like, you know, the stupid stuff with you know Darius and and setting up a command like yeah let's make it salute and also oh no so he has these 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 different decrees that are issued by his power that he has to do to have Purim set up so there's a contradictory system to be able to to resist against the decree that he himself made right so we we see these great kings of the great empires of the beast empires and the way that their power is a manifestation of the limits of what can be done so Ecclesiastes does this too and it talks about how a power is insufficient so the use of money the use of power the use of pleasure these are not gods that are worth worshiping they so, have to be used in their proper place so uh, okay i i think i saw you browsing over and looking at a, ta a tablet of some sort you got some notes there so are you going through them i do where are you at in your notes because i, I f if you're going in the, through them i want to know what you have i'm always intrigued by your notes so the the one thing I want to give to people is these these attributes of the true good, right? The, the true good is the knowledge of God, right? The true God and knowing Him by His Word, and so there's there are things here that we need to understand, and the things we need to understand are that first of all, the truth is transformative. The knowledge of God changes who we are. It's cumulative, and there's progress. So you learn the basic things, and when you build on those, it adds and it has an increasing power. So we all think, oh, you know, the big transformation is getting converted and everything else after that doesn't matter nearly as much. No, 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 no. 
the more you learn, the more it builds on itself. And the system of truth, you start to see connections of the network of the system of truth. And if you know anything about network theory, the more nodes you have in a network, right? How valuable is one phone, right? Imagine there's one telephone in the whole world. How useful is it? Mm. It's not useful at all because you can't call anybody. Right. If there's two of them, then all of a sudden, okay, I got one person you can call and they can call me. Now, what if there's 100 telephones? Now, there's 100 different people that can call nine, you know, 99 different people, right? So the power of that, now, if there's a billion of them, right? You think about now we have, you know, they're probably what, I don't know, three, four, five, six, seven billion phones in the world. I, mean, I don't even know. I don't even yeah. know how many billions of phones there are in the world and how many people we can call. And so now the telephone is this powerful thing that comes around with us. It's a portable node that we can use. So the network effect of the telephone is the more telephones there are, the more valuable the telephone is, right? Mm. And so the same is true with truth. The more truth you know, the more it increases its utility and the more you can make connections faster and faster and you can make applications. So the more truth you know, the more effective you become at the use of it. Now, obviously going from knowing no truth to going knowing some truth, I mean, the, you know, not believing the gospel to believing the gospel, that's the big step. You go from death to life. Mm. But everything after that, you have this increasing multiplication of the value. And so the transformation starts to accelerate the more you know God. So as a transformative power of the truth, as we have the knowledge of, of God, it's cumulative. It builds on itself, right? And it doesn't just build on itself on an individual level. It builds on itself in a corporate way. Whereas you and I, you know, if I know more truth, that's great. If you know more truth, that's great. But if we both know more truth, then all of a sudden we can divide labor. We can agree with each other. We can work together. There's a corporate capacity and the church has the power there. And so you have this individuals, you have friendships, you have the household, you have churches. The unity of the doctrine results in an increasing capability to work together. So it's transformative of individuals, it's cumulative in individuals, and it's corporate so that it results in working together. And there's a multiplication of the power of it. So the power of the knowledge of the truth multiplies in you and it multiplies in other people. And it makes it so that there's a network effect of persons as well. And so this power to use the knowledge of the truth. Okay. Okay. Preach on it, Dan. Those, that power of the knowledge of the truth across individuals makes it so that, that we're able to, to become more powerful together, right? So this is how the advancement of the Lord Jesus Christ works in the earth. And he's designed it so that, you know, you think about this with, with pleasure, right? If you go, oh, here's a chocolate cake. I'm going to eat half the chocolate cake and you're going to eat half the chocolate cake. And if we split the chocolate cake up, I get half as much as I was going to get than if I just kept the whole thing myself. Well, the same with money, okay? I, we got $100, okay, you get 50 bucks, I get 50 bucks. The same with power, right? If I have the power to decide, you don't, right? So if the good is pleasure, power, or money, then it, the, it's, it's, it's not something that we can just, by sharing, increase it. Well, what about truth? Right? If the knowledge of God is in my mind and I teach it to you, do I lose it? Mm. You know what? Though? What happens? You know what, man? You better, uh, that's why idols have to be destroyed because yes. idols limit production. Mm -hmm. Idolatry limits production, right? The, yes. the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, the gospel produces as it's shared. It advances. Yes. It becomes wider, more, greater, richer, deeper, broader, you know, faster. Yes. More, you know, um, our connection to each other becomes bonds of covenant that can't be ripped. 
where we're crying, but I'll give you my coat off my back. Everything changes. That is really good. Right. So that being the case, okay? So if that's the case, right, if, if, our, if our God is pleasure, we're going to grasp the opportunities for pleasure. If our God is money, we're going to be grasping about the money, right? And we're going to be misers, right? And if, and if our God is power, we're going to be controlling and domineering people, right? If instead power is for service and money is to bless other people and to glorify God and pleasure is an ornament to be used in its proper place to make the truth mm. more, more beautiful, right? If that's, if that's the case, then those all become tools to advance the truth and they encourage an attitude of liberality, generosity, this, this magnanimity, a great-mindedness that allows us to share and to not just be grasping. So slavish people are grasping. Kings have this attitude of, of plenty where they can share. Right. So if we realize that the truth is the good, if the knowledge of God is the good for us, if wisdom is the good for us, if it's the principal thing, if it's the thing we should buy and never sell, then we have to realize it's a thing that we can share it and we increase it because the other person gets it too. And here's the awesome part. Ooh, when you more? teach somebody the truth, <laughs> you teach yourself. Mm. Right? Paul says in Romans, you who teach, you know, if you teach the law, do you not teach yourself? Right? The answer is yeah. You you reminded of it, right? It increases your knowledge of it. And as you teach a thing, it increases your understanding of it. You see more applications. And so there's this glorious benefit of the fact that as you share the truth, it increases not only what the other person has, but it also increases your knowledge. Okay, before you go any further, there's a question here. I, my Instagram folks are talking to me. I see y'all Instagram. Uh, but Kathleen KW1, she says, how does the power you describe translate to daily life and action that improves society? What do you mean by production? All right, so if you believe the knowledge of God, Right, if you believe the gospel and you believe you're saved from sin to glorify God with good works out of gratitude, then you're gonna go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start trying to apply the law. So one of the laws you're gonna start commanding is you're gonna start trying to apply is the eighth commandment. And you're gonna go, okay, I'm not supposed to steal. What does the apostle Paul say? He says, Stop stealing, start working with your hands that you might have something to share. Okay, so that's that's one of the things you start to go. I need to make money. I need to make useful things because I want to glorify God with that property. I want to exercise dominion. I want to apply the word of God to more things. If you're sitting around thinking about God and you realize that the, the Bible teaches you to exercise dominion over the physical world and in the relationships you've got, you're going to read Deuteronomy 6 and you're going to go, okay, I need to put the word on my doorpost. I need to put it on the gates of the church and the state. I need to teach everybody in my household. I need to put the word of God on my forehead to govern my thoughts. I need to put it on my right hand to govern my actions. And so you go, here's all this stuff that I need to apply the word of God to. And so the word of God, when it's in you, there's also all the commandments that you study and the commandments come out in external actions. And so the words that you speak transform the world around you and the actions that you take transform the world around you. And the conversion that comes from other people you know, from the what power of the Holy Spirit through that word is powerfully done. This is, the word is compared to seed and this idea that it results in fruit growing. Yeah. So as you know more, you can speak more truth. You can answer objections, tear down idols in other people's minds. And you give 
give them the truth of the gospel. They hear about it. They think about it. The Holy Spirit converts them. So it results in to your domain and to your own actions. And then it makes it so that the authority you exercise is, is understood that way. We don't even know what to spend our time on, right? Like, like we don't know what we're supposed to do. Like everybody's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'm going to do whatever. It's like, you don't even know what a friend is, right? Mm. If a friend doesn't know what's good and how to get what's good, he's not your friend. He's your enemy, right? And so there's this, if somebody doesn't love you, they hate you. And so the only way to love you is to know what's your good and to seek your good. And so the friends that we have, and if we're not working together, we don't, we don't know how to glorify God together. And, and if, if we don't know how to glorify God together, we can't work together to do that. And so the household has to be ordered by the word of God. The church has to be ordered by the word of God. And the state does as well. And that starts with individuals knowing God and knowing what his law teaches and applying it and increasingly taking it out to those domains. So the knowledge of God, as we see these idols to be idols, we stop chasing them. And we chase after, we seek after the true God, and we seek to do stuff that's going to help us to grow in the knowledge of God, which is applying the law in all those spheres. I want to just, I, I can't say how well you just said that. You, that was excellently put. Um, I, just, I just would say it like this, you know, how, how does it pour out into regular society? And I'll say this real simply. Um, bad guys need someone to be afraid of. And, yeah. and people who fear the Lord and who protect their families and who work hard and who own companies and businesses that fear the Lord and treat their employees well, make bad guys afraid to do bad things. There's a story about a guy who was working in sex, sex trafficking, trying to save kids from sex trafficking. And he said, the whole game has gotten a lot scarier since we got in. And he's like, and I like it like that. Because now the bad guys don't feel like they can just go and traffic another human being in, in certain areas because they know we're there. Part of the thing that our society is missing is the salt that keeps it from expiring, that keeps the meat from completely going south. And you don't have to have a whole bunch of it, but salt preserves. And if the saltiness isn't salty, then it doesn't work. And when we don't have the kind of moral people that are willing to say, you know what, I'm sorry, you don't get to have my kids in your government schools. I'm sorry, no, you cannot, like Texas is doing, uh, continue to neglect to, to keep your covenant with us. Um, you will not come and take people out of their homes because they were at abortion clinics. When we have people who are just willing to stand up and say, I'm sorry, there's no idols in our state capital. Have you lost your mind? <laughs> it, it sets a temperature and a tone in society when righteous men act righteously they don't even have to be the ones in complete power. The people in power start fearing those people because they know they can't get away with that stuff. I saw an old nun on the street, um, and it was a video, and two girls started kissing, and the old nun walked up and separated them. And she said, oh, no, baby, no, we don't, we don't do that here. Now, we got some other things to work through on the, the, the nun side. But we can't even get Christians bold enough to do what the nun is bold enough to do. So what's that tell you? Right. Right. But just for them to say, no, not here, not in public. Shame on you. You need to repent. Right. right. This is a sin and a crime pretty soon. <laughs> right. And, that, and that's why people won't, won't tolerate the preaching of the law. Right. Because the law of God is a chain that restrains wickedness. Just just the social pressure. Right. That's right. You end up with 
men like you know unbelieving men like you know probably Thomas Jefferson and, and, and Benjamin Franklin who even though they were probably unbelieving even to their death we don't know the Lord could convert them on their deathbed right but you know even even if that's the case we look at them and they still tried to apply in many ways the Christian law to the state right right to the civil sphere and so the, the idea that people people end up aping Christianity in a way that they support it uh, even against what they would prefer to do because of social pressures and things like that. So there's a binding effect of the law. Yes. The other thing is the law reminds people of their need of a savior, right? It has, it's a mirror, it's a chain, and it's a lamp. So it's a lamp onto our feet, and our performance of the law ends up serving as a chain that restrains other people's actions and reminds other people of their need of salvation. That's why they hate it. That's why that's what they hate it when we seek to apply the law. Also, the law is the practical element. And so you, know, you, you teach the law and it gives you opportunity to talk about the gospel. And so, but the knowledge of God is you, you, you know, God, and you also know his law with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self, and the law reveals, you know, who you are, what you are, what you need. And, and, and it helps you to see what you ought to do and how to live your life. Okay. So Eric Smith, 28, 28, he asked, how do we distinguish between the laws that apply to us as Christians versus laws that don't apply to us? Well, everything God commands applies to you. Yeah. Um, and so if you want to deal with the, there's the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law in the old covenant. Okay. The moral law is summarized in the 10 commandments and the two great commandments. Okay. The two great commandments, love God, love neighbor. The, the first four commandments teach you how to love God. The last six commandments teach you how to love your neighbor. And then there's a bunch of case laws. The case laws say, if this, then that. And they teach us how to apply those laws. They're, they're organized under it. So if somebody steals from you, then they need to repay this or whatever. That fits under the eighth commandment, right? If somebody you know knocks out somebody's eye, then this needs to happen. Okay, well that that fits under the sixth commandment: you shall not murder, right? So we have we have these various commandments. They fit together, and then there's approved examples and there's disapproved examples. So that teaches us how to organize things. So there's the moral law, what you ought to do, and that applies to everybody. There's the civil law, which has things that are technological or that are specifically geographic related to Israel, okay? Everything that's not a technological or specifically related to the geography of Israel type of thing is a general principle of justice that applies in every nation. Yeah, okay? that's, that's the general equity of the law. That's and right. then there's the ceremonial law, and the ceremonial law has two major components. The ceremonial law is all of the symbols, okay, the ceremonies, the rituals, and those are either moral symbols, okay, like don't plant crops together that are of different types. What is that a symbol of? It's a symbol of the idea of, of not having the righteous and the wicked intermingle in a way where they are joined together in a rooted way. That points to covenant. Or you don't yoke two different types of animals together. That's a symbol for not being covenanted with the wicked, right? So these are moral symbols. There's also types and shadows, and the types and shadows point forward to Christ, and they are typologies, they're symbols of Christ, and they're foreshadowings of what Christ was going to accomplish. So that's it. So the moral principles, you seek to figure out what is the moral application, and you, can, you find that in the New Testament. Um, so those, those ceremonies that are moral symbols, and the types and shadows are all replaced by the new covenant symbols of the things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? So those are, those are the ways we deal with the law. That's the organization of it. I, and you know, I think that you need to study the Westminster Larger Catechism uh, on the on the Ten Commandments, and you can get a really in depth and glorious study of that. Uh, but but frankly speaking, if that if that's a question, right, the question of which laws apply to us, I want you to think about the fact that that means your church is doing a terrible job of teaching you how to read the Bible. Either find a reformed church, and you need to leave the ridiculous church that you're at, 
and you need to go find a reformed church that teaches the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger and shorter catechisms and goes through the Bible with expository preaching. And you need to sing psalms so that you understand the things that God has given to you to memorize, which are there's a book of songs in the middle of the Bible. Yeah, go baptize and your you're going to have the word of God dwell in you richly, and you're going to start to mature. Go baptize your babies. Right. If you're not married, you're married. <laughs> Somebody said, Edwin, Edwin Brooks said, this is an excellent breakdown. I think so, too. All right. So I don't have you for much longer, but I want to get through what you have on your list of things there. So wh where were you? You were at power. So we, we talked. We talk, sure. So we, we talked about how the, the knowledge of God is transformative, cumulative, corporate and communal. Right. So it transforms you. The more knowledge of God you have, the more it transforms you. It is something that as a result of getting more of it, it's, it's, it transforms in a cumulative way. It's not just a one and done type of thing. It's the more knowledge of God you get, the more sanctified you become. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. And so then the third one, we work together, right? That we, we grow, we work together in, in knowing things. And so you need good preachers that are going to teach you. Part of the value of that is, is that people have different gifts and there's work there. So you work together. We work together in all of life, in all of the institutions, and we seek to apply the knowledge of God there. And as we work together, we're going to accomplish more and we're going to learn more. In addition to that, it's a, a thing where as we share it, it's communal, right? The more you share it, the more you have and the more other people have. So in addition to that, what we add to that is it's comprehensive. It's not, it doesn't miss anything. It's not like, oh, here's this area of life that the, the knowledge of God misses. The law, the law doesn't address that area. Oh, God, God was writing the book and he just had like, he just forgot all of a sudden to write the part that we needed applying to this area. The law of God applies to everything. Anything worth making choices about, he teaches us how to make those choices. It is comprehensive. It covers the waterfront. There's no part missing, right? Everything is covered. The law of God is sufficient to teach us how to do every good work. Right? So, so that being the case, there's nothing that the knowledge of God and his law is going to fail to address. We're called to keep every thought captive to Christ. We take every thought captive to Christ. So if we don't know, if the law of God, think about this. The good is the goal. Right? If the goal is to know God, to spread the knowledge of God, it gives us a goal. Meaninglessness happens when you don't have a goal. If you are bored, the reason you're bored is you don't have a goal or you don't believe that you have an effective way of advancing the goal. If you believe that the glory of God is the goal, you have a mission. You have a goal in the game. Okay, okay, okay can, we, can we camp out on this and, real quick? Because I think that there is not one person who would say, well, we don't, we over here, we, we don't believe that the glory of God is the goal. Everybody uh, agrees with the glory of God being the goal. The, the problem that I'm seeing, though, is that it never really touches down on earth, right? And so how do you, when we talk about the glory of God, most Christians tend to think the glory of God is somehow in their minds. And, and, and just if we can just think about, the, if we meditate on just all the glory of God, and then now we have achieved high points and all of our minds together are meditating on this glory of God. And now we, we just hum together in this unison. It's just so lovely and beautiful in our minds. But when you talk about glory of God, you're not talking about that, right? Well, I mean, minus, minus the humming part, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's part of it, right? No, I, so no. like, so but we, we have to know God yes. and then we have to show God. Yeah, but I think people right? stop at the so knowing the, God and then, uh, and then the, the, the showing God, I think they would say evangelism, but is the, there is another element to the glory of God. Like we... 
we don't produce for the glory of God. Right. right. We don't um, because I think it's maybe been that since, you know, the dispensational premillennial stuff that's that's kind of changed us or even the two kingdom stuff where the church in this area, they do things that are nice for the widows and the orphans. But that's about it as far as it relates to the glory of God. Right. We we, we have to realize we have a dominion mandate and we have a we have a great commission. We are commanded to exercise dominion, to apply the law of God to everything that we own. You put your foot on it, your foot on it, you tread it, it's your property. You own the thing, you must rule it according to the word of God. That's the dominion mandate. And in addition to that, there's the discipleship command, right? There's the great commission. And we're to disciple the nations and to baptize them. Right? So that means causing them to covenant and to apply the law word to obey the lordship of Christ. So this means all the covenant institutions, the individual, the household, the church, and the state, all of their activities are supposed to be focused on the glory of God. So if every institution is to focus on the glory of God with all of its activities, then everything we do is governed there. And the law of God teaches us what to do at every moment. And the way we avoid boredom is by knowing the goal and knowing how to play the game. If you play a game and you know that the goal is to get a certain number of points, but you have no idea how to do it, it's boring. Mm. The law of God tells Tells you how to play the game and it teaches you how to score mm. and the way you score is you win souls and you build things and you you get resources and you apply the word of god to it and you manage the relationships that you have and you see other people blessed and you see the the growth in them and you see them become allies working in the game with you to spread the knowledge of god so you know i joke with people you know in business you have what are called kpis which are key performance indicators Okay. So it's a thing that you track and you go, if we're going to measure this thing so we can manage something, that, that's sort of the, uh, an element of management. And I joke with people, you know, in the church, for example, you need something like a KPI that one of the good KPIs would be how many truths are taught to how many people per dollar. Right? And, and if you don't have a fog machine or a dance team or you know, whatever else, right, then it allows you to teach a lot more truths to a lot more people for a lot less money. Yeah. And, and so when the church focuses on its actual goals of, of teaching doctrine, worshiping God according to his word and government in accordance with what God has instituted in his church. It makes it so there's a lot less that the church is doing, mm. right? So you see this in the state as well. You can do a lot less with a lot less taxation if the state focuses on its job. And in the household, you go, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't know what to do. Lead your wife. She is your helpmate to accomplish dominion. Have your children do work. Work together to build an estate. Teach them wisdom. Work together on the goal work together inside of the covenant institution of the church, help to accomplish things and make it so you can pass on wealth and wisdom to your kids and they can go further than you did. Right? So this, this idea that it touches ground with the law, right? It's you need the gospel. The gospel saves you. You need the knowledge of God. There's the indicatives. And then you need the law of God, the imperatives that tell you how to play the game. And so that that's where it touches the ground. The law of God, which is a thing that people hate is the thing that tells you how the rubber meets the road. It is the practical element. Mm. It's what teaches you. It's the light that, that, that lights your path, that shows you where to walk. Right? Otherwise, you're just walking through hedgerows. Mm. You, you, the light shows you where the road is, so you know where to walk. That's good. That's now, good. I, Keep I, going. Yeah. So I, I, I got to run off here soon. And so I, forgive me. What I want to do is I want to I I pass along to you real quick here uh, some of these elements and we should talk about these more as people understand how, the, how these things apply but when we talk about the good right the knowledge of god is the good and so if, if we've, we've already talked about the idea that the knowledge of god is transformative it's cumulative 
it's something that's corporate that we can we can we work together to advance the knowledge of God that it's communal and that as we share it we increase it and the possession of it ourselves and the possession that other people have it's comprehensive it touches on everything there's nothing lacking and it's inexhaustible which is something you brought out right away right you started talking about the fact that there's yeah. an an infinite amount to gain there, right? So the transformation can go on forever. So we, we increasingly grow in the knowledge of God. And so the inexhaustibility of it, it can increase forever. It's, it's never stagnant. It never ends. We're, we're not infinite. We're finite, which means we'll always be growing, right? And so we're never going to become infinite. We're never going to become God, right? But we will always be growing in the knowledge of God. So we become larger and larger and larger. We, we possess more. We become larger vessels with more of the wine, right? And so that growth of us and the growth of what's in us. So here's another thing that's really important. You can get pleasure and the next day you can lose it. Right? You, you, can, you can be luxuriating one day and the next day be in a torture chamber. Yep. Okay. Yep. You can be rich one day and lose it all the next. You can be king of the world one day and depose the next. Right? Pleasure, power, money can all be lost. You know what nobody can take away from you? The knowledge of God. It is, it is inalienable. It is something that cannot be taken. So what you what you don't fear the one who can destroy the body. You destroy you fear the one who can destroy the soul. The destruction of the soul is is a meaningless, foolish existence with wrong choices. Right? If we have purpose in the knowledge of God with righteous choices, that is a glorious and fulfilling existence. And so the 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 inalienability of the knowledge of God is an important part. Nobody can take it from you. And that means, unlike money, pleasure, and power, you can take it with you. It's continuing. So when you die, you continue with the knowledge of God, and you build from there. It's progress that goes with you into the next life. The Egyptians built pyramids to try to take their stuff with them. We don't have to do that. We are temples of the living God, and the knowledge of God that he gives to us in this life, we take with us into the next, and we advance from there. So the last two things are, Jesus is the, the water that takes away thirst, and he is the bread that takes away hunger. He is satisfying. And so the knowledge of God is fulfilling. It's the most fulfilling thing. It's the thing that allows us to have fulfillment and that it's not worth trading for anything else. Right? So it's fulfilling. And that means it's the goal. It's ultimate. There's, there's nothing else to pursue. We don't, we don't get the knowledge of God in order to get something else. We, we, we get money in order to glorify God. We get power in order to glorify God. We get pleasure and we use pleasure and we, we share in things that are pleasurable in their lawful place in order to glorify God. But the glory of God and the knowledge of God is not obtained in order to get something else. It's only obtained in order to get more of itself. It is, it is not to be traded for anything else. It's the ultimate thing. It's the goal. It's the highest value. So the knowledge of God, those are attributes of it, and that helps to take away boredom. You examine any other, any other false good, right? Anything else that claims to be God, claims to be the highest good, it's going to be deconstructed. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the God-breathed book that shows you how to tear down every false good, every false idol. Ecclesiastes is an apologetic against false goods. And so um, it just, James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament that teaches us how to, how to show God, how to know him and show him. Okay, and I've got a commentary that I'm, I'm trying to come out with soon here on the book of James. Um, but the other thing is the book of Ecclesiastes is the Old Testament one that shows us how to tear down the false versions of that. And so that's part of the wisdom literature. It focuses on God as the good, 
the knowledge of God is the good to be spread, and it shows us how to tear down the false ones. So that's one of the neat things about the wisdom literature in the scriptures. Okay, how much time do I have you for? I have you for five more minutes. Is that what I got? Five more minutes? Or are you pushing? I mean, five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, five minutes. Okay, here's what I want you to do: is you wrap up in five minutes. Everybody who's still here, who's still listening, um, they can find your sermons at Puritan Reformed PHX. So just yeah, PuritanPHX, PuritanPHX.com. PHX is short for Phoenix. So PuritanPHX.com. Okay, so he, I want you to take and tie how what you just talked about with self-government government managing and the self-seeking after the real good, the true good, mm-hmm. how that then affects or engages with our political world that we currently have now. So not to, and I'm not trying to be, you know, um, I'm not trying to be, you know, live in some fantasy world. I, I really want to think, okay, what does that look like and how does it change the current environment that we're in? So, so first of all, it helps us to not compromise um, because we think that power is the good that's going to help us to transform things. Uh, we compromise. Come on now. We, come on now. We, we give up the knowledge of God in order to get power. Uh, that should never be done. Come on now. We should never compromise. Our testimony should never be compromised in order to do something uh, that we think gets us power. Okay. The most pragmatic thing you can do, the most power creating thing you can do is to honor the Lord according to his law and not according to the dictates of your pragmatic heart. Mm. And so you, you do not have a right out of pragmatism to seek to do something that's contrary to God's law. You, our duty is to refuse to offer incense to the emperor, though we die. So we, we, we think that, you know, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can go to the transgender you know, wedding or whatever to make it so that people don't think I'm so mean. Maybe that'll make the gospel message go forth for the, no, you do not sin. You do not approve things. You don't seek to call something good that is wicked. You know, you, you let people call you hateful when you love them, hmm. right? Don't, don't, don't call evil good by claiming to be loving people by doing things that are hateful to them, right? So we, we don't compromise the truth. And that means in the political sphere, you, you read you know, Exodus 18.21 and you don't vote for people who don't meet the qualifications listed out there. That's, that's an example, right? So, so that, that's, that's how this applies in one way. The next thing is it helps you to realize that it's stupid to go chase after the presidency or the Senate or the governorship or whatever if you don't have resources because you're going to have to go compromise with a bunch of people that are mainstream Republicans or whatever and find a way to be electable, right? So you don't do that. What you that. do is you get resources. You get, Christ, you get Christian resources. You get somebody who wants to give you money to run a theonomic campaign, right? Mm. So you don't compromise. You don't compromise. And if you're going to run for office, you go run for a lower office, like you know, Dusty Devers. You know, praise God. Yep. You know, and, and so you, you go for lower offices, and you're honest there first. So you you go from lower authority to higher authority. You build gradually. But you try to take risks to do things that are strategic, and so you go after the lower. First, which means you govern yourself well, you govern your house well, you see the church put into good order, and you see local government put into good order. Right? So those are, that's the order of operation, and you rise up. You go, you go through there. But the accumulation of capital is necessary to accomplish any of those things in a broader base, and you have to put the capital to honor the Lord rather than seeking pleasure or seeking power in a compromising way. And so money serves God. Money makes a really terrible God. Right? So, so that's pursuing the true good. You, you have a goal. And if you zealously seek after it, you will avoid boredom and you will find that you advance like you're on a highway. Pastor, 
You got to go run and do stuff. Go run and do your thing, man. I appreciate you so much for doing this. We'll do, we're trying to figure out a time for next week, like earlier in the week or something like that. We'll, we'll see. If not, we'll just do Friday. We'll keep that up until we can. But we want to get this kind of information and content in the first part of people's weeks because I think it's good to have this kind of thing to meditate on, to work through. There's so much content here. Go share this content. There's a library. Every time I get this preacher organ, I just want to preach. Uh, <laughs> it's so bad. Tell your neighbor about it. Go to YouTube. You can find Civic Covenanting and all of our shows on Civic Covenanting for Knox Unleashed is there on Family Fridays. It's been a blessing to me. Hope it's been a blessing to you. Share it with other people so they might be blessed too. Pastor Reese, salute to you, sir. God bless you. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, everybody else who's um, who we have here, I just want to say thank you guys on Instagram and on uh, who else is talking to me? I see some of my Instagram people asking questions. Uh, my guy um, is that Ethan Atwood? I don't know who that is. Eatwood. Hey, um, it's David Reese. They're trying to figure out who this is. This is David, Pastor David Reese out in um, this interview is worth sharing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Pastor David Reese, who is out in Arizona, he is the president of Armor Republic. If you want to bless that man, go get you some armor uh, from AR500 Armor, Armor Republic. Good brother, godly brother, uh, post-mill, Vietnamic, Presbyterian, uh, Puritan. I got to make sure I keep that Puritan in there. Um, oh, Chris, you came over from X. Better connection on YouTube. Yeah, X is... A, X sound is not bad, but it's not the best. All right, guys, so I'm going to get out of here. Um, do this for me. Go share this. People need to hear this. There is a tendency. I'm going to turn my organ off. There is a tendency for a lot of people right now because we don't want to see our country completely go down to shreds. We want to see somebody hold up the standard. But let me tell you something. What you are building in, in yourself in your families and with your churches in your community is the most important thing you could be building. And more and more, I look at this thing, the self-government, governing yourself, seeking after God, seeking after the true good and giving your attention to that without any equivocations is going to make strong families. And you teach your families how to seek after the good. We have taken our theology for far too long and it's only been cerebral. It's only been in our mind. It's only been get soul saved and that's about it. We are called to take dominion. What does it look like for a Christian to live like a Christian in the world that God has given them to live in? Well, that has an effect on all of society. A lot of our preachers, unfortunately today, are too comfortable saying that we are underneath the curses of God. And they're not wrong. If you are looking at the society right now, anybody, look, it's bad. It's bad when atheists start saying, yeah, looks like we curse y'all. This pretty bad. Um, when atheists start saying that we need to get to rebuild the family and we need to have some standards, like it's not hard for anybody to see that we're under the curses of God. But this is the thing that drives me so nuts about this. So many people are willing to talk about us being under the curse of God but are not willing to talk about how we become people who can be under the blessing of God. What does it look like? They don't know the law. Go back to Deuteronomy. What is it like to be under the blessings of God? Oh, you're not getting overtaxed. Oh, guess what? Your bread basket is full. Oh, guess what? Your borders are safe. Oh, guess what? Instead of you being chased by, you know, 
uh, uh, hundred of them or one of them chasing a thousand of y'all, one of y'all will chase 10,000 of them. You know, and so we haven't begun to take a good observation of the total picture. We only see the cursing. We only see it's falling apart. But God always has a ram in the bush. What does it look like to be faithful to God? Well, it looks like you repenting first. Oh, Virgil Walker just popped in here on Facebook. I see you, V. That's what it looks like. It looks like you being faithful. And as you are faithful, make no mistake These people who don't want to be post-mill, these people who don't want to talk about the blessings of God because they're scared of sounding like charismatics, charismatics ain't all wrong. Matter of fact, I'll fight with some of these charismatics before I um, and fight with them and and engage with them in battle before I'll fight with some of these reform folks because their theology never touches the ground, never touches the ground. And so self-government, self-management, here's a test. I'll give you a test. I dare you to go on your cell phone and look how much time you spent on your cell phone and on Facebook and on X. I'm not even going to say, I'm not even going to say that all those things were bad, right? I'm not even going to say those things are bad or you shouldn't be giving your time to them. David Reese will say all that stuff for you, but I am going to ask you to do this. This is my challenge for you. I dare you to take half of that time that you give to social media and online stuff. I dare you to take half of that time and invest it in getting to know more wisdom from the Lord. How many Bible verses? Take half that time that you use on social media and memorize as many Bible verses with that time as you possibly can. Here goes another challenge. Take that time, that 50% of your social media time, whatever that is, and teach your children how to sing harmony on, in some psalms. Sing some psalms, and can your family sound like its own choir? Anybody who is going to train men to be dangerous in battle, anybody who is going to engage a culture so that they can fight and that they'll be strong, have a community that will fight, are going to have to have a soundtrack to the battles that they fight. And God has given us the psalms so that we might have that soundtrack to battle. It is our battle songs. And if we don't know those, we don't have. Why do you go? Y'all can get me upset here. Do you go to the gym? Have you ever? Have you ever went to the gym and forgot your headphones? What's the first thing you do? The first thoughts that come into your mind is, guess what I'm not doing today? (laughs) Guess what I'm not doing today? I'm not working out because I ain't got my songs. Because you know that when you have those songs, they push you to work out harder. They drive you when you're ready to quit. They give you just a little extra push. And it makes you think about the value of engaging physically so that you can grow. Guess what? The Holy Spirit has written songs for you that as you meditate on those, as you sing those, as you glory in those songs, they do something far better for you than just your workout music. What does it look like for those songs to permeate your mind and your heart as a warrior? What does it look like for your family that when something good happens in your family, those psalms are just thunderously coming to everybody? I'll tell you what happened to me in my house. God blessed us recently with some stuff, and I wasn't even there. And my children began to break out in praise of Psalm 147. 
was it 142? I can't remember. I, um, and, and it was just a reaction. It's just what they do. It's just what they did. It's just happened. If we are going to be in this battle, if we're going to fight and seek to protect our borders, if we're going to fight against transgenderism, if we're going to see the glory of God rule our nation, which we all want, by the way, what are the soundtracks and songs that the people need to hear? If we're going to march around this thing seven times, we better have the right songs to sing. And I'm going to tell you something. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see. That ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to cut it. Them are not battle songs. You can't. Ain't nobody doing no workouts of those. Those, are, those might be warm-up songs, but them ain't battle songs. Are you telling me that when Jesus comes back and he's in here and he's on his horse, <laughs> that's the song that's going to be playing as he's slaying everybody? That's the one that he's drenching his, 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 uh, his linen with? With blood? No. No, nah, man. You got to step up your song game. So take that time. Just take, take the time. You already have it. Don't complain to be, oh, I don't have the time. I don't believe that for two seconds. Your cell phones will testify against you before the Lord. Take the time away from other things that aren't that you're mindlessly engaging with. Say, I'm going to put this somehow into my family so that we sing songs in harmony. We learn some harmony parts. If you're looking to try and sing songs with harmony parts and you don't know how to do it, there's a great app for that. It's called Sing Your Part. And it breaks down all four harmonies and it has the music right there and it has the psalms right there. Go download the Sing Your Part app. Download it, and you tonight with your family, learn a psalm, a simple, find the easiest one you can, learn it in harmony parts, so that you guys can be anywhere, and the psalm will come to you. All right. I'm some, I got to go now, because that's all the time I got, and uh, that's all the time you got. I told you the show would be all about you, and this would be the best show that you ever enjoyed. God bless you. If you're single, I'm going to say it, get married. If you're married, have you some kids, and if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek the good. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast.